humans, hello humans, hello humans of the world. It's me, Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Talking to you from the Twin Cities um, where it is the middle of June already. Hooray, summer solstice right around the corner, literally. We have a great show today. Uh, the big interview is with Jessica Myers. She is from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. She is an idealist who is taking on the Senate Majority Leader in the South Dakota legislature for the next election. Um, it's her first election, and she's an idealist who reached out to me. I had no idea really who she was, but she heard me speak in South Dakota when I was there in February. There's a nice story attached to that. Um, And in my C block, I'm going to talk about my work as an idealist. But now here in the A block, you know, I usually highlight a contemporary or historical idealist, but today I'm going to take some radio host license, and I want to talk about disparities in Minnesota. And if you want a copy of my handout titled Disparities in Minnesota, uh, you can go to the AM950 website and you'll be able to uh, download it. I'm starting to put more documents on the on the uh, station's website but or you can go to my website my website at elliekrug.com and you can uh, or you can email me and I will get you this if you can't find it on the station's website but um, you know Minnesota has long touted how it's first in so many things like education test scores income even happiness but as governor walls said recently All of those firsts accord to white-color Minnesotans. Remember, I refer to white people as white-colored people because most white people don't believe white's a color. But for Minnesotans who are of a different color other than white, there is a way, way different story. It's called disparity. The difference between one group of humans and another group of humans, often it is translated into statistics. And we, when we talk about structural racism, disparities are the way that you see it. All right, structural racism is like, well, hey, they don't say, you know, on their website that they, you know, you know, won't hire people other than white, or they don't say uh, that, uh, You know, police officers are going to stop people of color other than white color far more than they stop white people. They don't say that to you. But when you see the statistics around those kinds of things, um, then you get an idea that the system is baked to favoring white color people. So I've, I've got this document I put together. It's called Disparities in Minnesota. It's a four-page document. Uh, because I decided I'm going to put something handy together. And what I want to just share with you is a little bit about how, the, how it's different for people who are not white, not white color in Minnesota. So first, let's just begin uh, with the 2016 estimated population of Minnesota, uh, 5.523 million. I think it's uh, grown since then, but I got, I'm relying on 2016 statistics. Out of that 5.5 million In Minnesota, 81% were white alone. Another uh, 19% were considered of others. Uh, uh, the people of color other than the white color are about approximately 36% of, uh, you know, and so then you have uh, 64%, give or take, of white color people in Minneapolis. So when we start to get into the statistics about education, 
This is where it gets kind of, um, not kind of, this is where it's glaring. Now, you may recall I had Michael Cerisi on the line um, from the Cerisi Walburn uh, Foundation uh, earlier last, last year to talk about uh, these disparities. So, but let me just remind you, okay? Now, third grade reading achievement. Now, this is important. It's a milestone. It's a marker on how a child ha- is succeed and their ability to succeed going forward in school. And what they do at third grade is they test to determine whether they're reading and comprehending at what would be expected for the third grade level. So in Minnesota, the third grade reading achievement level, that is where children are meeting or exceeding the third grade uh, standards for white Non-Hispanic children, 64% of white children are meeting or exceeding the third grade reading standards in Minnesota. But for children of color, that is other than the white color, only 39% of children other than the white color are reading in third grade and meeting or exceeding third grade reading levels. That is um, almost um, a 50% difference between white um, and other colors than white. Uh, For lower income children, okay, uh, those that are um, uh, uh, near or slightly above the federal poverty guidelines, uh, 40% of lower-income children, only 40% are reading at third-grade levels. For higher-income children, that level is that number is almost double. Higher-income children, 67% of them are reading at third-grade level. Now, what does this tell you? It tells you a couple of things. It tells you that if you are not of the white color, you are not doing nearly as well in school at third grade. And then going forward, of course, um, it, compared to as if you had white skin. Now, why would that be? Hmm. Could it be that we don't, A, have enough teachers of color other than the white color in our system? And B, could it be that the white color teachers in our education system across the state favor children who are of white color? High school graduation rates, right? Minnesota ranks 50th. That would be the last in the country as it relates to the difference between white and colors other than white graduation rate. So in Minnesota, uh, white non-Hispanic uh, students are graduating at a rate of 88.4%. Um, black students, that is students that are African-American, are graduating at only 67.4%. That is a 20% percentile difference between white and black. Native American, American Indian uh, students are graduating uh, from high school 51% of the time. (laughs) Barely half. The students who are Native American are graduating and barely two-thirds of black African American students are graduating high school in Minnesota compared to nearly 90 percent of white students. When we get to college, it's even worse. College, 66.8%, so 67% of white college students are graduating from either two or four-year institutions, but black students, 
only 35% are graduating from two or four year uh, institutions. And for Latinx, that would be for Latino, Latinx students, it's 27.5%. Um, it, is, uh, it is a glaring disparity. Now, um, let me just see, because I'm running out of time, let's just talk about household income. Okay, for what in uh, in the Twin Cities, the median, according to uh, the Department of Education and Employment uh, Development in 2016, in the Twin Cities, white families, white households earn seventy six thousand six hundred and thirty two dollars per year on average. Okay, that was the median household income in the Twin Cities in, 19, in 2016. The black families less than that. $32,819. Why? <laughs> because employment opportunities for African Americans in the Twin Cities are way different than they are for white-colored people. Uh, the poverty rates uh, for white, uh, uh, white families in Minnesota are is 6.5, excuse me, in the Twin Cities is 6.5%. For black families, it is almost six times as much. 32% of black families in Minnesota live in poverty compared to only 6.5% of white families. You're getting an idea here, aren't you? Okay, and I'm running out of time, and I know that giving you statistics over the radio is always tricky. But you know what? Go see my document on the website, or contact me at lejkrug at gmail.com. I will share the document with you. These are numbers. These are things to chew on. And they tell the story about how the system is so different in Minnesota if you do not have white skin. So, okay, when we come back, we'll do the big interview with Jessica Myers. Thanks. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. If you're looking to save money on your home or building improvement project, check out Better Futures Minnesota's reuse retail warehouse in South Minneapolis. We carry salvage building materials such as cabinetry, flooring, plumbing fixtures, appliances, lighting, and more, saving you money and saving the planet by keeping these items out of the landfill, by giving them another life. Selections change daily, and we also take donations. Go to betterfuturesminnesota.com and look under Reuse Warehouse to learn more. Let us know AM950 sent you. And we're back on LE 2.0 Radio on AM950. Um, I hope... Uh, you uh, you think more about those disparities that I just talked about, and um, and I'll have Brett, as I said, uh, put on online uh, the disparities document that I referred to. 
Now, um, we have, as you know, I try my best to always have a big interview with someone during the show, a big interview with an idealist, and I am thrilled that we have on the line a woman named Jessica Myers, who is from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Jessica, are you there? I am here. All right. Well, Jessica, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. I am just absolutely thrilled to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me today, Ellie. Uh, you're welcome. So, listeners, um, uh, uh, um, a little bit about Jessica, okay? So, first of all, just so you know right off the bat, Jessica is a candidate for the uh, Senate in uh, in South Dakota in the legislature. Uh, she is taking on the leader of the Senate. Do I have that right, Jessica? Yes. Okay. All right. So the Senate leader, and um, and uh, just so everybody has an under an idea about you, you um, uh, native to South Dakota. You graduated from South Dakota State University in Brookings. Married your high school sweetheart. Two of you moved away to New York and Chicago for ten years, but then you went back to Sioux Falls, where you live right now. You and your husband. Your husband's a high school counselor. You work in placing. Uh, therapist in uh, uh, therapeutic in uh, medical settings, and you have three uh, three daughters ranging from uh, fifth grade all the way up to high school senior. Jessica, you know me because I spoke in South Dakota back in February. My listeners have heard about that trip probably ad nauseum, but you were in the audience when I spoke. Do I have that right? Yeah, I, uh, I am a part of the Transformation Project, which is a nonprofit in South Dakota that is a trans youth advocacy group, and and I had a very minute part in um, bringing you in, but wow, what a day. Well, and, and that's right, and, and listeners, you may recall that I had previously uh, Susan Williams on the line, someone I met in South Dakota that helped get me to South Dakota to speak, and you may remember the backdrop of all that was that the... <laughs> South Dakota legislature was uh, working to enact uh, a bill that would criminalize uh, health care and therapeutic care for transgender youth, anyone uh, under age 18. And luckily, that bill got, um, that bill got um, uh, defeated. Uh, uh, Jessica, um, let's uh, tell us a little bit, will you, first, what's the landscape and the political landscape in uh, South Dakota right at the moment? Well, I, I will say, as most of the country, we are in a bit of change. Uh, we just had our primaries last Tuesday, and although the country sees us as a bright red state, I, I will say change is on the way, which, which gives us hope. Being a Democrat in South Dakota is, is not for the weak of heart. I, I will share that. Um, I actually, living, being someone who lives in Sioux Falls, I am in a rare place in South Dakota where Democrats may get a second glance. But I will, I am happy to report that um, change is coming. The Democrats are having a, a, a very small uh, foothold. We are, we are getting candidates elected, which is very encouraging. And after the primaries on Tuesday, um, there has been some um, warning signs to the Republican Party that we do have viable Democratic candidates on the way, which is really, really exciting. 
Well, that is great. That I mean, and and um, and and this is your first run for elected office, correct? It is. Okay. It is. All right. And tell us about your opponent, who is the. He's the. Uh, is he the speaker? He's not speaker of the house. He's the what? Uh, leader he's of the, the Senate, Senate Majority Leader. Senate Majority yeah. Leader. Okay. Tell us. Uh, tell us about him and and um, and 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 what it what is shaping up for you here. So my opponent is the Senate Majority Leader in South Dakota as legislators, and I and I do actually appreciate this that there there is no possible way unless you are a governor to to be able to be a politician full time. So we all have full time jobs on top of being a state legislature. Um, my opponent actually owns a hospital in town. So he is he's a physician. Um, he is this would be his fourth a uh, fourth term that is the max so this would be his last term and what what happens a lot of times in South Dakota is that once you hit your term limit in the Senate you just flip to the house and then you serve four terms in the house and then you flip back to the Senate and ping pong back and forth so this is his fourth term um actually after looking at the election results for his last three elections um what has been really encouraging for me as a first-time candidate, is that in his last election, he only won by 26 votes. So wow. my district is absolutely winnable, which is really, really exciting for me. Well, and that's, and that, that is great. And, and so you're taking on somebody who has money, I'm assuming. He, he's a doctor as well, right? And, yes. Um, and so you're taking somebody on who has money. Uh, you're a first-time candidate there is uh and there's and you've told me when we prep for this uh, interview that the democrats in south dakota are really kind of out of money so you are you are doing this with um a wing and a prayer and a uh you know a kite and glue uh apparatus but you're doing it right i'm doing it okay all right there is but there is a story behind even this and um, and in a minute, we're going to have to take a break, Jessica, but uh, to, to uh, at least seed uh, the interest for our listeners, that story has to do with you hearing me speak in um, Sioux Falls when I was there, right? That's right. Now, uh, you, you're part of the Transformation Project, uh, which is a, 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 a nonprofit aimed at helping to uh, lift up uh, transgender kids but you're part of that project because you've got some LGBTQ connections in your family. Is that right? I do. My oldest is gay, and I, I have. I, I will say this: my best friends in the world are gay, and I watched my high school forever friends who maybe didn't get the most rousing acceptance when they came out, and they came out later in life, in their late twenties. And I saw what happened when their families weren't as warm and accepting. Over time, it's gotten better, but at first it wasn't. And that forever shaped who I was. And so when my oldest came out as gay, we said, great, you're gay. Go do the dishes. It was <laughs> not a big deal. And we, and as, as we have this conversation, I am watching my daughter proudly hang up her gay flag because it is Pride Month. 
And with the wind, it is whipping <laughs> outside today. All right. So, so I am. Okay. Well, Jessica, I need to interrupt you because we got to take a break. Okay. But when we come back, I want to talk about you and I meeting, you hearing me speak in, in uh, Sioux Falls, not because it's all about Ellie Krug. It's really about you. Okay. All right. So we got to take a break. Listeners, we'll be back in a second speaking with Jessica Myers from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Back in a second. Hi, Alex of Better Futures, Minnesota. Does your business or organization need janitorial services, lawn care, or snow services? Obtain a free, no-obligation estimate from Better Futures Minnesota when you mention that you heard about us on AM950. Our supervised, hardworking, and affordable crews will handle your interior and exterior building and property maintenance needs while you help men in your community transform their lives and walk on a positive path to success. It's a win-win. To learn more, go to betterfuturesminnesota.com under business services. And we are back on Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug. And I have been interviewing Jessica Myers from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. She has thrown her hat in the ring to take on the Senate Majority Leader in the South Dakota Senate. Uh, She is a first-time candidate, first time running for uh, political office. Jessica, before we took our break... Uh, we talked about the fact that you heard me speak in Sioux Falls in February. You were in the audience, right? I was in the audience. Okay. And um, and listeners, I went out to Sioux Falls. You may recall, because I talked about it probably way too much, I went out to Sioux Falls because they, uh, the legislature was proposing this bill about criminalizing health care for uh, transgender youth. I did a number of different talks in Sioux Falls, but kind of the culmination of it was a morning talk in downtown Sioux Falls on Saturday morning where we had probably about 60 people in the audience. Now, Jessica, um, and I, I'm, I'm asking you to share a story, not to highlight anything about Ellie Krug, but uh, about more about what it means to be an idealist in America right now. So can you tell the story? Because you, you had been talking to the Democrats in in South Dakota about the possibility of running, but you were really still on the fence uh, when you walked into the room to hear me speak. Do I have all of that right? Yeah. the um, Being a part of the Transformation Project uh, for this last, we're, not, we're in a very small nonprofit in South Dakota that hasn't even, we haven't even celebrated our one-year anniversary yet. But with, with my involvement with our nonprofit and seeing... Um, House Bill 1057, which was the the, tra- the, the hate bill, essentially, that was um, going after any kind of medical services for trans youth, it really ignited uh, a passion in me to get more involved. And the week prior to you coming to Sioux Falls, I had um, started asking some questions. I, I was actually personally asked, um, would you consider running in your district? And I didn't know what that answer was. And it, it, and frankly, it was because I'm a mom and I have teenagers and I'm married and I work full time. You know, all of those normal right. things. I mean, I'm not a career politician and I really didn't know what my answer was. I was really honestly battling with that. And when you would come to Sioux Falls and you really spoke about 
othering people, which is putting people into categories that, you know, make them different, which makes them the enemy. And that is absolutely what I've been watching for the last three years in our country on both sides. And I, and I do not believe that either side is an enemy. We are neighbors. And in your speech, you had shared, um, it was during the question and answer, and it was just a, a statement that um, wasn't planned. It wasn't a part of the, you know, your uh, presentation. It was really just, it came up in the Q&A. And someone had started talking about um, politics. And you had said, if you can do anything to get involved in this next election, please do so. <laughs> and that just struck a chord in me because I, I looked around this group that was in, in your presentation and I saw young people. I saw people that were their entire lives marginalized and would never have the opportunity to run for a political office. We saw um, a couple there that were actual retirees that they're out. Actually, their Minnesota out-of-state daughter um, had sent them there just to learn. And I thought, oh, my gosh, who, who in this room has the ability to run or has the courage to run? And I knew that my children and my husband were on board, um, nervous for me, but on board. And it, it was in that final, that final conversation that... I, I had solidified it in my heart that I was I was going to do my best and and run for political office. Well, and 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 Jessica, again, uh, it's not all about me, but I wanted to have you on the show because of the idea of how we ripple to each other, right? You know, um, we can yeah. ripple in very positive ways or we can ripple in negative ways to each other. And it's really, really important at this time right now where we are in our country that we ripple in ways that cause new people with new ideas, with new energy to be stepping up, trying to change the way the system is. And, um, and I'm so uh, heartened by the fact that you are doing that. Thank you. You know, I, I look at, when, when you talk about rippling, I look at it a couple different ways. You know, the, the most uh, you know, prevalent example in my house is that I have two teenagers and a tween in my house. This next year, my daughter's going to be a senior, daughter's a freshman, and my youngest is entering middle school for the first time. And I know that as a mom, the only way to lead is by example. And I know everything that I do and say, these little ears are listening to me. Now, if you take that to the, the, what our state legislature looks like in South Dakota, a lot of the legislators are my parents' age and older. Now, if I was to ask these state legislators what TikTok was, how on earth is a 70- or 80-year-old man going to know what TikTok is, and how do you legislate it? How do you protect our kids from, you know, all of these different things? I actually think that teenagers could teach them so many things. But when it comes to policy and procedures, I don't think that my parents' generation have any relevant knowledge when it comes to legislating education policies for my generation, or for my kids' generation. Right. Well, and in fact, your opponent in the election has school-aged children, but they go, to a, they go to a private school, not a public school. Uh, and you, And the person you're taking on, the Senate Majority Leader, he sits on the Education Committee for the state. Do I have that right? That's right. 
That's right. I just, I really feel like if you are going to sit on the education committee, you should be using the product. I am married to a high school guidance counselor in South Dakota, and through actually the wonderful thing that I was able to see through this quarantine is only by osmosis in my house is how hard the counseling staff in his high school work to make sure that kids are staying on track, that they have access to the homework if they don't have access to Internet. Right. I mean, it's a basic need. We, it, How do you upload something to Flipgrid and submit it for your grade if you don't have Internet at your house or you don't have a laptop? These are the basic things that our kids need. And when you're sending your kid to private school, you don't know firsthand that that's a concern. Right, right. And, and, and again, it's about having um, a state, a community represented by the people who are, you know, who are, are real in the community. And, uh, and I, I, I think that for our country as a whole, where you are at the vanguard of major change that's going to happen in our country. Uh, Jessica, you know that I ask everyone who comes on for the big interview, what makes them an idealist? And you are quite the idealist. Um, yeah, so what? how did you get here? How did you get to be the person that you are, that you were willing, okay, to never, ever run for political office before, willing to take on one of the most powerful politicians in South Dakota? I, when... I, I grew up on a dairy farm in the middle of the state, and we worked. We worked hard, and I, I was doing chores at the age of seven, and my story is not unusual in the, when you are coming from an agricultural area. And the one thing that my parents said, they were never political. They may have had an opinion, but they, they weren't actively political in the process. But the one thing that they told my sisters and my brother and I was, if you work hard, you can be whatever you want in this world. And I, when I remember when I was little, I would say, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be the president of the United States. You know, back in the 80s, those were bananas things. But my parents would say, if you work hard enough, you can do it. And that cemented in my heart that I believed I could do whatever I put my mind to it. And as I got older, I didn't think that that wasn't available for everyone else. It's not just for white people. It's not just for women. Everybody should have that right that if they work hard enough, they should be able to be that. And I never stopped believing that. And now that I'm in a position where I could have some influence on that, I want everyone to have that right. I don't want money to be a barrier. I don't want education or access to basic needs to be a barrier for people to maybe not pursue the dreams that they so desire. And that ripples into everything, college education costs, applications, clothes to wear to an interview, you know, all of those things. I believe everybody has the right to try to be whatever they choose. And I'm going to fight hard so everybody has that ability to make the right decisions for themselves. Well, and you lived, uh, and we have just about a minute, minute and a half left. You you lived away for ten years in New York and Chicago, and then went back home. Um, that follows a pattern that I had because I had lived in Boston and went back to Iowa. Uh, and now, of course, I'm in Minneapolis. Let me ask you this, okay? What do you think about going? 
the experience of being away in the big cities, how do you think that shaped uh, your idealism? I think, I think everybody needs to go away, whether that's traveling, move away, if, they, if they're able to go see some, another place. It really puts into perspective what you came from and who you are, and it also allows you to get out of yourself, especially when it comes to small towns. You, you sometimes get put into roles, whether you like it or not. And it was really great to be a small fish in a big pond in New York City and in Chicago. It was really great to see that not everybody was really, really fair and blonde. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to hear other languages. And the thing that I learned the most, they want the best opportunities for their family, and they really do care about each other's neighbors. Your neighbors may be a different color, be from a different country, or speak a different language, but we all live together, and we're all looking out for each other. And that was the biggest gift that I learned when we moved away. And I knew it was going to make me a better citizen of South Dakota coming back with that experience in mind. I love your reliance on the word neighbors. And I think that that is a word that all of us need to be using far more than what we've been doing. Um, Jessica, I just want to tell you, I have really, really enjoyed uh, speaking to you. I appreciate that you had reached out to me to share that story about how I, I had helped get you over the edge to go and decide that you were going to run for political office. I, I'm very grateful that you did share that with me because that helped fuel my own idealism. I just wish you the best as you go forward. Thank you, Ali. And oh, and by the way, if anybody wants to read up on you, where could they go for your website? Yes, I, you can go to my website, which is Jessica for F-O-R-S-D, Jessica for SD.com. And I also have a Facebook page, Jessica for SD District 12 in South Dakota. Great. Well, Jessica, it's been wonderful talking to you. Good luck. Go get them and continue to be the idealist that you are, saying the wonderful words that you have been saying. Okay? Thank you, Ellie. Okay, listeners, when we come back, we'll do my C block um, where I'm going to talk a little bit about my work. And uh, we'll be back then. Thanks. Did you know there's deconstruction funding available now for homeowners and contractors in Hennepin County? If you are embarking on a remodel or teardown this year, consider hiring Better Futures Minnesota's deconstruction crews instead of demolition. By taking a house or building apart by hand instead of destroying it with heavy equipment, the materials can be reused or recycled instead of going into the landfill. It is much more cost-effective and is a carbon-neutral solution. Go to betterfuturesminnesota.com and look under business services to learn more. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. And we are back on AM 950 LE 2.0 Radio. Jessica Myers, you know, quite the idealist. 
And you imagine, I mean, having a family, having a full-time job, running for taking on the Senate Majority Leader in South Dakota. <laughs> a lot of courage there. A lot of idealism. Go check out her website, uh, Jessica for South Dakota, jessicaforsd.com. Go check it out, okay? And we all wish her luck. All right, we're in my, where I talk about my uh, work. And on, for this, I mean, I'm really, you know, I am really pressing some things here. And I want to talk to you about the hard work of going forward in Minnesota and in America right now, in June of 2020. George Floyd's murder and the unrest and property damage that followed have awakened white-color America to the glaring disparities that have existed for generations. That's why at the beginning of this show, I started giving you a bunch of statistics over, <laughs> over the air. Always a tricky thing to do. The question is, okay, so suddenly we now have a whole lot more white-color Americans understanding the system has not been fair for people other than the white color. Okay, that's great. But the question is to the extent that we really foment change. I mean, we are talking massive institutional change where businesses, government entities, religious organizations, special interest groups undertake new policies and behaviors to level the playing fields. I mean, for example, earlier you heard me talk about the disparities between a third grade reading achievement, uh, achievement third, you know, white color students, far more, almost twice as many white color students are succeeding at third grade compared to students of color other than the white color. I mean, and, and, and that is so incredibly important because it helps determine a child's ability to succeed going forward. And we have been defunding education time and again when we should have been increasing what we are paying teachers, increasing the number of teachers, increasing the quality of the education, making sure that the color of a child's skin does not make a difference in how they are treated and how they learn. But, I mean, this massive structural change goes all over the place. I mean, we have to better involve parents of all levels, of all colors, in the education of their children. We have to better explain and have an understanding about how families, uh, how trauma in families, that is parents just simply yelling at each other, how that impacts a child, um, and that's regardless of skin color. You know, how do we begin with that change, okay? I mean, it is so much that you know, we need, as I said earlier, to have the right teachers, have enough classrooms. It takes time and money and commitment from all of you that are listening to my voice right now. It also means that your taxes are likely to go up. I know we already pay a lot of money in taxes in Minnesota. I know that. And I know what people, you know, on the other end, on the other side, are going to say about raising taxes. And it means that household budgets may become a bit tighter. It does. But um, you can do your part by at least understanding that that is the price that we pay for getting a more equitable society. 
You can also do your part by supporting candidates for change and by not complaining uh, when they start enacting those changes and it costs. Um, it will take white-color people at school board meetings say it's, uh, saying it is unacceptable for children of color to be doing worse in their schools. It will take you yelling about that. And I will keep coming back to this about how to push the system to be more equitable. Now, uh, uh, if you want to know more about what I'm trying to do, you can go to elliekrug.com, okay? And there's a menu item called projects where, I'm taught, where I've put out a 10-point plan on how to change the diversity inclusion landscape. I've also... Um, created a plan for the creation of a Truth and Reconciliation Commission in Minnesota to bring into light why it is across this state that white color skin is favored over all other skin colors. We have never had that conversation in Minnesota as Minnesotans, nor have we ever heard from the people who have been affected by that preference. But there's one more thing that you can do. You can keep your eyes open and speak up. Many of you know I live in downtown Minneapolis on the 12th floor of a condo building. Kitty corner from my building is a new construction project to build a 17-story apartment building. For weeks now, I've taken note that the entire construction crew for this 17-story apartment building is white color. Not a single, as far as I can tell, a single person of color other than white working on this project. I mean, there must be two dozen people. In light of everything, I finally decided to do something about it, in light of what's been happening in our country. I took a couple of photos from my balcony of the workers, and then I tweeted, Hey, X company, I'm not going to name the company. I don't want to get into that. Not at this moment, at least. Maybe I will someday. Hey, X company, how is it that in a city that is 36% persons of color, you have what appears to be a totally white construction crew? Question mark. Think differently. That tweet only garnered three likes. But later that day, I got an email from the construction company's diversity director saying there's a shortage of people of color in the trades. It's not even 5% of, of construction workers in the Twin Cities, and I'm assuming most of this is union people, are people of color other than white. Not even 5%. That is in a city in Minneapolis, where 36% of the population is people of color. In essence, the construction company uh, wanted to say, it's not our fault that we don't have enough people of color working on our job site. Frankly, I think that's a crap answer. It certainly is that company's fault. It's the fault of every other construction company in, in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. It's the fault of the unions. It is the fault of our society. For decades, the message has been that you are not wanted if you are not of white color. And the message has also been that if you do come, we will make it difficult for you once you are here. I mean, you hear that message enough, you decide, I'm not going to do this. This is what I'm talking about when I say we need structural change. The people who control the levers of access who favor white-color skin, need to be pushed out. Yes, as the consumer, as the voter, you have the right to demand better of the people who have the levers of power. Start paying attention 
to places where you give money, you know, stores. Um, maybe that that uh, construction crew that's coming to help remodel your house. I don't know. Wherever you, the restaurant that you go and frequent all the time. And if you see that it is only white color people in there, will you ask why? Will you demand that they think differently? Because everyone, I know I'm on a soapbox right now, but everyone, we have to start thinking and then acting differently. Governor Walz says we only have one more choice, one more chance. I agree with that. Let's get it right. Okay, there you go. That's the end of this show. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Yes, Strident Ellie Krug, you better, you better believe it. Idealist Ellie Krug, you're going to hear this stuff from me. Okay, um, a big thanks to our sponsors, Brending Electrolysis. Uh, She's back up and running. Let Bev know that um, I recommended you. She does great work. And big thanks to our other sponsors, Better Futures Minnesota, which gives people a second chance. A lot of those people are people of color other than the white color. Trust me. Go to betterfuturesminnesota.org and look at their website. Support them. Big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson, who's always putting up with me and who always does such great work. And to you, my listeners, listen. I meant what I said. We got to do things differently than what we've been doing. Reach out to me at elliekrug.com, lejkrug at gmail.com. I would love to talk with you if you have questions um, or inquiries. And otherwise, be good. Go out and try and make the world a better place. Talk to you next week. Bye.